Welcome to the latest episode of the Gen X Music Show. Before I get started, I'd like to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th and Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. Um, restrictions are definitely being loosened, so if you want to go down and like be outside, like not when it's snowing, by the way, so you may want to wait a week, but you know, if you want to go outside and, and have some wine, Blanchard's the best place to go in Denver, and, it, and it's really close to Coors Field. So if you're really depressed about the Rockies or you're a masochist and you want to go down and watch that crap, go to the game or before it and go to Blanchard in the Dairy Block, just two blocks away, get yourself some wine, maybe go before, get yourself ready to see what you're going to see, or come out after for a good night. Um, the Dairy Block is really, really pretty, and they've got some great restaurants there too. 2017 Cabernet is my favorite, but they got a litany of other wines that are just absolutely amazing. Uh, you can go to bfwdenver.com, book, book yourself a virtual wine tasting if you're not quite ready to uh, get into the swing of things, or you can get yourself a bottle. They do delivery, they do uh, shipment, and they also do curbside pickup. Once again, they're located between 18th and 19th, and Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. They're on bfwdenver.com and Facebook and Instagram under Blanchard Family Wines. When you go in or talk to them, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast sent you there. What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest Gen X Music Show. Um, I am really privileged and very happy to have a very good friend of mine, a guy who has not been on CSG since about 2013, but I have been on his podcast many, many times since then. So it's about damn time we had him back. It is my friend from South Stands Podcast, uh, from Articles on Mile High Sports, from other podcasts. It is my dear friend, John Reedy. Hello, Don, John. How are you doing? Jeffrey, how are you? Thanks for having me. It, you, would, you don't know how happy I was to, to get this invite. I was really glad to, uh, <laughs> to hear that, and I'm thrilled to be here. So thank you very much. Well, it's about damn time, I, I think, and I, I'm, I'm, I just feel ashamed that I haven't had you back for one of these things because the, the music show is basically perfect for you and me to sure. talk about things that we talk about before I get on the South Stands podcast. It's just, this is the stuff that I live for. Um, and we're going to be talking about, as we couldn't tell from the uh, intro music, uh, we're going to be talking about the jam, which is, I mean, I'm sure a lot of you people who are uh, you know, Americans are probably like, I don't know who that is, but if, if I did know who it is, I can't understand what that, that guy's singing about. Um, and um, it, that's a shame because this band uh, was woefully unappreciated um, here in America during its time, but they were very appreciated in the UK. Um, so, John, what was your first introduction to um, the jam? It, it was, do you remember vividly when you got introduced to him? What was your evolution with this band like? Uh, I don't remember specifically, but 
it was it was certainly when I was in high school and you know I was into punk and uh, I kind of started getting into into the whole mod thing and right. of course they were the mod revivalists and they they kind of brought that back from what was going on in the 60s but they had that kind of punk side to them because they started out around the same time as the Sex Pistols and all those other guys so you know it had that same vibe to it so it really kind of spoke to me um so I, I just remember it might have been my brother might have might have gotten it you know first and like started playing it and uh as you know infinitely catchy everything you can right. you can you know you can sing along to right away um and i was gonna say you know this is just to just to kick things off without hyperbole i'd like to say that i think paul weller is certainly up there with the likes of paul mccartney and and all those other guys that are in that echelon now what maybe not a household name in america but certainly in england he is and uh, i think people recognize that he's he is up there in that tier right. and, and he doesn't have the, the 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 you know the resume that paul does somebody like that but I think as a songwriter, he's certainly up there. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, absolutely. Um, and in fact, you know, when I first got introduced to the jam, it was in the 90s. And they stood out to me because um, unlike other bands that came out of the punk era, they were trying something a little, they, they carved their own niche, um, much like The Clash. Um, and mm -hmm. The Clash went into more of a funky, you know, American inner city R&B uh, way that they really channeled into aggressive punk music. Uh, the, the jam was a lot very, you could tell they were very influenced by the kinks and the who just mm -hmm. very influenced. Well, they covered um, uh, David Watts, which is, yep. uh, which is uh, Ray one of Ray Davies, I think best songs, but um, by the kinks, but I kind of got introduced to him then and I kind of just, I don't know what it was. It just glommed onto him. And, and I, and I'm not sure because they have all the elements that I, as, as a typical American, you know, male of who was born in the seventies, I shouldn't like what I do. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I don't think I can explain it. And I think if people who are like listening to this podcast and you're asking <clears throat> someone to, to define why they like something, I don't know if I could necessarily give you a broad definition of why I like the jam. I just responded so well to them. And honestly, John, I, when you think about this band and you think about the way they took it with the aggressive Rickenbacker, uh, both bass and guitar sound that just cuts across aggressive, but melodic uh, music that turned into something completely different five years later. Um, it's just, to me, it's just, a perfect representation of the way uh, punk music, quote unquote, could have evolved if the bands that were in punk in the in England weren't so shitty at the time. Sure, and and it's, I think the reason why it resonates with you is because it is it's basically soul music. It's it's right. like American soul and R and B sped up, put through a filter of three white English guys um, that are living through the first generation of punk. And that's what, the, that's what came out. So whereas like the Sex Pistols basically were kind of doing, kind of doing their own Stooges impression, I would say maybe mm -hmm. just like playing rock and roll, just kind of messy rock and roll, like what, what Iggy was doing. Um, the jam kind of took all that soul and R and B, put it through that filter and, 
it, those songs are just so damn catchy though. Um, you know, that first album, those things are just like, I, I had to look it up because I was like, Oh, I know some of these have to be covers. And so I think one of them was, yeah. but like, uh, change my address that song. Right. What a ripper. I mean, just a crazy, just rock and roll song, um, written by, you know, middle-class English guys in the late seventies. So I think that's why it probably resonates because it's, it's good pop music, you know, first and foremost, mm-hmm. but just with that aggressive edge to it. Well, it's interesting too, because, uh, that first album, um, in the city, um, the song in the city. I, I, I was like, I immediately was like, Oh my God, I love this song. And it's uh, the bass on it. uh, Bruce Foxton, um, great underrated bass player. Um, Just, he's got that, he's got that tone that might not to get too nerdy about bass, but he's got that tone (laughs) that just really cuts across uh, the mix. So well, so well. And it's a three piece that's really tight and people forget how young, uh, Paul Weller was when this yeah, like, album was 19, like 18, 19. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he was 19 years old. And when the band broke up, he was 23. I mean, that's yeah. insane. 23, Just accomplished yeah. everything by the right. time he was 23. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's absolutely stunning to me how they just compacted this all into such a brief time, but in, in, in the coming back to in the city, uh, that album is really is a, is a good example of, what a band can do it's hungry and ready they were signed by polydor pretty kind of out of nowhere uh, based on their history they were kind of they weren't really uh quote known band. they were formed in woking um england uh and if anyone heard paul willer talk if you hear, hear his interviews his 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 voice is nowhere near as brusque as it is on the songs that he sings it's very yeah. exaggerated but it worked for the songs and it worked really, really well in my view with that first album. Um, I, and it, it's, it's fantastic. I love that whole thing about like, um, like uh, Damon Albarn from blur, like yeah. him doing like kind of this cockney thing. And he is not a cock. He is not no. cockney at all. No. So it's kind of what they, what they did at the time. I was going to tell you a little bit, a little bit of uh, uh, my experience with these people in this band. I've seen two thirds of the jam. I've seen Paul Weller solo, huh? and then I saw Stiff Little Fingers with Bruce yeah, Foxton with Bruce playing. Foxton, yeah. <laughs> that was like back in the 90s. He played, played at the Bluebird, and he was the bass player. And, um, you know, it was really wild to see him, you know. And uh-huh. so, and I, I did, never saw Rick Buckler play anything, but I've seen the two main members of, of the jam play separately. So that's my claim to fame as far as that goes. Well, it's interesting because, you know, Bruce Foxton, uh, Stiff Little Fingers, he was in that for, that God almost 20 years. I mean, he, he was in that yeah, long, yeah, it was was long in, time. was in the jam and uh, Buckler is the one uh, later on who like got really screwed in this whole situation. Yeah. Willer broke up the band, but um, I think that, I think that just watching this and I wish I would have been, been able to see it because uh, I have not seen Weller uh, live. And that's one of my disappointments. I've seen all of my heroes live, but not him. And uh, that's a little bit of jealousy on my part with you because I, I really wish I would have seen it because I've even seen freaking Morrissey in concert, but I have not seen that. I have not seen Morrissey. I had a chance to see the Smiths in the mid eighties. Um, oh. They, they were playing like, Oh God, I don't even remember where they were playing, but um, so you have to understand uh, maybe this is a lot of people, but um, I would love a band and then I would hate a band. And I was in that cycle of hating the Smiths. I was like, okay. oh, Smiths suck. I hate them. <laughs> and 
what a what a regret, Jeff. I mean, like I could have went and saw the the damn Smiths, you know, and I did not do it. And so I, I do regret that. I wish I, my brother might have went, but um, yeah, I was like, oh, why did I do that? You know, a lot of a lot of things like that I had happen where I, you know, for some reason didn't go and really regret it. Yeah, I I I think that that's a, but all good concert stories are filled with regret. And I and I Absolutely. think I I I I could go on a rant about that, but I mean, like Weller, I don't think has come through very often. Um, well, let me tell you a story about that. If you got okay. if you got a minute, I got go a, a story no, about just that. Go story. ahead. Go so, ahead. so Paul Weller's playing the Ogden Theater, right? Right. Great venue to see Paul Weller, right? Mm. Dude's played massive places, whatever. Yeah. So he's um, he's on tour with Jeanette Napolitano. You remember her? I do. Yeah. And so um, he was on tour with her. And so she was like the opening act. Of course, you know, you're 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 opening for the mod father. Right. You don't you don't you know, you're not going to he's not going to open for you. Of course. So um, we must have rolled in there like probably right as she was done or right in between, you know, because I was like, I don't care to see that. I just want to see Weller. And uh, so he gets on stage and starts playing and it's awesome. It's just great. And I mean, it wasn't, I don't even think it was sold out, which is just shocking to me. Yeah. And um, he's playing mostly his solo stuff, which is really good. Yeah. Um, I think he played a couple, you know, I think he played a couple jam songs. Maybe I'd have to, I'd have to ask somebody. It's very foggy memory. But what I do remember is, so in the Ogden, I know it's been a long time since we've been to shows, but if you remember the Ogden has the stage and it has the floor and then it has a raised part where you can stand at a, at a railing. Right. So, there was a guy and he stood there and he had a picture, probably like a, like a, maybe a magazine size poster of Jeanette Napolitano. And he sat there and he held it up the whole time <laughs> Weller was playing. So, so much so that finally Weller stopped everything. And he was like, Oh, what are you doing then? And he was like, and he was yelling at the guy and he was like, and, and he was like yelling at him like, like, Hey, you know, you're here for this, blah, blah, blah. And he was screaming at him. And then uh, everyone's kind of like, yeah, go get out of here. And the guy kind of like folded his poster up and then slinked off. I guess he wanted her to come back out. I think they did a song together maybe, but you know, Paul's, he was a pretty, you know, he's pretty egotistical guy. So he's like, right. No, this is my show. I'm doing this. And he yelled at the guy because he was holding up the poster. And uh, so thankfully the guy took off and then he kept playing. So that's fantastic. That's an amazing story. I, I, uh, uh, the jam never played Denver um mm. when they and they were a band and they did six american tours and each tour got smaller and smaller and smaller sure and which is interesting because they broke up at their commercial apex i mean the gift the album was just insanely popular in england and uh was stayed on the charts the american top 200 for like six seven weeks which was the best they've ever done out here Sure. And, and then they broke up, but they never, they never made it to Denver. They were the coasts basically, yeah. you know, was what happens when you're not a high tier American touring artist. So I, it's interesting because I, I always like I, the Ogden, by the way, you're talking about the Ogden. That's, I got some great stories about seeing bands <laughs> at the Ogden. That's, just, oh, that, yeah. that's my favorite place. I saw, I saw the, the, uh, the Black Crows there in 1996. And that was when they were reached, they were, not doing well and i remember walking out uh i had a friend who lived in an alleyway back and this is by this is nothing to do with the jam but i need to tell the story um <laughs> they, they lived sure. in the alleyway you know that alleyway that's right by the ogden yep. uh he lived like a literally a block away so i it was after the show great show 
and I was cutting down the alleyway after I waited a little bit because I was hoping to see the band. So as I'm walking down the alleyway, you know that side door of the Ogden, out comes uh, one of the guitar player, Mark Ford. And he's kind of sitting there, he's smoking a cigarette. And he is just, he looks depressed. He just looks depressed. I couldn't tell if he was depressed or just drugged out. It could have been both. And uh, uh, I just was like a ballsy, you know, 20-year-old. And I said, uh, uh, great show. I, I, I lived a year in California. I know you were there, blah, blah, blah. I kind of like, me mentioning California perked him up. So we started talking a little, but it wasn't very long. And right as I'm leaving, the keyboard player, Ed Harsh, bursts out of the door. I mean, bursts. I've never seen the door fly open so quickly in my life. And it stunned me. And this guy's like six foot five, six foot six, and he's towering over me. You know me, John. I'm like a midget. (laughs) And I'm looking at this, and he's like, hey, man, anyone out here got light? (laughs) What? And he's like, I need light. So I had a, randomly, I had a small yellow Bic lighter. You know, one of those those tiny Bics Mm. that they used to sell. I don't know if they still do. And I said, I got this for you. He's like, oh man, that's the best thing I got all day. (laughs) He takes the lighter and runs, I never saw the lighter again. He runs back inside. (laughs) And I don't know what he was going to light, but I'm I'm sure it was not something legal. And I was like, oh my God. So I walked to my friend's house and I was like, that's, that's the most random rock star story I could ever hear in my life or experience in my life. I, I think you could do a whole show on people's experiences at, at shows because uh, mm-hmm. I've, got, I've got a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, there's, there's, quite a, there's, quite a, there's quite a whole, um, there's quite a whole mythology around people going to shows that I'm sure everyone's got, you know, some story, you know. Um, right. I, I, I went to uh, when when Elastica. Remember Elastica? Oh yeah, oh yeah. When Elastica when Elastica played the Mercury Cafe, oh, Mercury. Um, me and me and a buddy went down there and uh, met him. And um, I gave him I gave two of the, the ladies from Elastica rides around on my scooter and then in that area that's now you know built up all over the place. But right. yeah, I gave him I gave him a little tour of what what was like kind of empty Denver at the time. So uh, yeah, wow. that was fun. You know. Yeah, that's when you could do that. You could go and meet people and, you know, and, and actually hang out with them. So. At the Mercury Cafe? At the Mercury Cafe. Wow. Well, well, I also saw Blur at the Mercury Cafe. You know about that show? No. Oh, oh we could do a whole show about that, Jeff. <laughs> we could do the whole show. <laughs> yeah, Blur. This is, a, this is another thing I kind of was talking about. Weller. Um, Blur was like selling out Wembley Stadium at the time. Like, like yeah. literally, they were make that, big, that big in England. And they came and they played the Mercury Cafe, which wow. if anyone doesn't know, the Mercury Cafe is a very small, very small. Uh, it's, a, it's very small, like they have shows upstairs. And I would say what, maybe like 400 people pack in there. I don't know. I yeah, can't maybe. remember how many. Yeah. And um, it was wild. It was, it was a crazy show. The whole thing was a lot, a lot of that, a lot of that going on, but, uh, but yeah, I, but I digress. You could do, you could do hours and hours <laughs> of, of different crazy shows. Look, you and I, you and, and, and I knew this would happen because you and I have a lot of our obsessive music. So I, I was like, yes. you know, I want this to go anywhere it goes. But coming back to the jam for a <laughs> sure. second, um, they make their second album, this is the modern world. It's not that good other than the title song, which I think is good. I, I, it's, it's definitely a step down from In the City. And this was at a time, and this is something that maybe you can comment on too, because you, you've listened to a lot of British music they put them on a treadmill of you have to do single 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 
And the jam have a ton of singles. And um, not all of them made the albums. Like the one I just played uh, to open up the podcast, Going Underground. Technically, it's quote unquote on the Setting Suns album, but it's not. It, it was a single that was put out beforehand. Yeah. And you, they did a single that really didn't hit. And Polydor, their label, was about to drop them. And that's how quick it was. I mean, you have one album that is a hit. You have a second one that doesn't do as well. And suddenly they're like, eh, I don't know about you. You know, I, I don't know if this is, this is something that we want to do. And then how cutthroat they are. So they end up going to the studio and, and, and beginning their classic era, I think. And the, 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 and the three albums, All Mod Kongs, uh, Setting Suns, and Sound Effects, to me are like the holy trinity of what they yeah. It's just, they're so so each of those albums are so so good um did you go back and listen to Omad Khan's before you uh, uh came to the podcast i did and um and what struck me is and i you know what i should have brought my ipod or have a way to look up the track list because i can't think of the track list i don't know if you have it handy uh, but I will um in a sec what what i <sighs> As I listened to it, I thought, oh, great song. That's a great song. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, that's, a, that's a great song, too. And I thought, well, it's got to drop off a little bit. And then it, and then it doesn't. It just keeps on going. Now, you, maybe, maybe not a, as commercially successful, but still a great album and, like, really good songs on it. Um, and it, it just struck me. And with all of them, it just, there's just song after song. And there's a few, you know, here and there that you're like, okay, it's just kind of a, a weird you know, toss away one, but, um, mm-hmm. for the most part, it just, they just keep on trucking. They probably had to, you know, build on that, you know, build on what they had created, um, with the first album. But, um, I, I, th- I still think it's, it's really good and it's, it's very solid. It might just be more kind of like, um, a polished version of the first album, I guess. But, but when you mentioned like the singles, the weird, you know, like, like how England handles it, mm-hmm. like, there's a ton of Joy Division songs like that too. Like right. they are not on a proper album and, you know, um, Love Will Tear Us Apart. Um, I want to say, um, uh, I don't know if it's Transmission or it's one of those uh, or, or um, ah, shit, I'll think of it later. Tra- but Transmission's not on an album, is it? And, and Yeah. And so these yeah. are these singles and I'm like, these are just these amazing songs that they just don't have on, you know, one of the records. And that, mm-hmm. that, always, that always strikes me as amazing just what, you know, music factory England is, you know, and just cranking out the music. And, and when I was listening to all the records, just uh, driving around yesterday, I just put them all on in succession. Right. And I was just thinking like, Oh my God, this is like from what was it? 77 to 82. Is that when around that? And yeah. I'm like, <laughs> that is a real short amount of time to crank out that much good music. You right. know, it's pretty amazing. It, well, it is, and and they get on this. Like I said, it's on the. They, they describe it as this kind of treadmill of constantly putting, having to put out a single, and uh, they ended up. Like I said, they, I forget which one it was. I'm trying to remember. Was it in the mid? No, it wasn't in the minute there. Um, oh man, maybe it's on all mod cons, and it didn't hit. And they, they were got, it was really bad, but on all my cons, Paul Willer has said that that's where he decided to start changing his approach with writing mm. uh, and how he went with a more, this is what I, this is what I like rather than in his mind uh, compromising on things. And he ends up putting out all mod cons, which has the iconic 
down the tube station at midnight. Yeah. Which has been covered by numerous artists in England uh, and is a great story about being mugged in the subway or in the underground, the London underground. And it is a great story song contained in a three minute and 30 second track. And it is to me, maybe it's really getting very close. It's just an opinion, really close to peak jam. You know, it's just, that's how affecting that song is. And, but there are other songs on there that are just almost just as good as down the tube station in my, in my work. Oh yeah. And, and that song, um, what was funny is I was just brushing up on them a little bit and I didn't know that they were, they were like, I don't know, they were like considered like kind of like a nationalistic band at first because they were kind of like pro England and, you know, and, you know, while the other bands were like, you know, uh, you know, God save the queen, Mm -hmm. they were kind of like still kind of poor, you know, pro England. So they were, they were labeled as conservative. And in that song, there's the great line about the guys who are attacking him says they smelt of pubs and wormwood scrubs which is the prison mm-hmm. and he goes and then he goes and too many right-wing, right-wing meetings, meetings. Yeah. and i always that always stuck with me for <laughs> ever since i've heard it since like the you know the the mid 80s i was just mm-hmm. like that is so great because it totally it made sense to me i i know exactly what he's talking about you know oh absolutely and uh, uh a a bomb in wardour street is a great oh, aggressive yeah. song that yep. for 1970 eight you know yeah and it it, but it was it was such a and it was an affecting song too and it was i know this is what people need to understand and i said this like the last time i mentioned uh on this podcast the jam i said that this was a critique a lot of their songs were a critique of thatcher era britain and unless you're plugged into that you won't get the references i I can see why americans listening to this will be like uh, a a bomb and war street what the hell or they listen to the next album, they think they they hear Eaton Rifles, and you're like, what the why, why the fuck should I care about this? You know, Adam Eaton, the outfielder for the White Sox, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, Sir Dennis Eaton Hogg, yeah. Um, yeah. but there is just there's just something so good about it that it just it doesn't matter that it's very specific to England. It gets to the point I'm making, and that's what I like. Yeah, and and that that is fascinating you bring that up because here you know here we are when i you know when i was listening to it i was probably i was probably 15 16 and probably not knowing about like i didn't know what wormwood scrubs was until much later when i think i saw it referenced late you know somewhere else and i was like Oh, okay. I get it. You know, um, right. you know, uh, the, he's talking about the, the, uh, t- and then when the way he says the takeaway curry, I'm on my way home to my wife. Or is that yeah. the one where he's getting? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, you hear of that later. I'm like, Oh, I, you know, I've been to England and Ireland and you're like, Oh, takeaway curry. Oh, I get it. I didn't really, <laughs> didn't really occur to me what it was mm-hmm. at the time, you know? So, mm-hmm. so timelessness because, and, and, and it, it's such, such good music that, even if you're not really getting all the references because you're just a dumb kid listening to it, it, um, it still works, you know? Well, think, look, at, look at this. They got the song All Mod Cons, To Be Someone, which is one of my favorite. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. Jam songs. Uh, Mr. Clean is okay. Uh, David Watts is the Kinks cover. Yep. English Rose is a good song. Engl- English Rose yeah. is a good song. Um, and then it, it ends up with A-Bomb Order Street and Down the Tube Station at Midnight. 
but it is all kind of the, well, the songs are all consistent and all very good and very punchy and very uh they're not indulgent um some of they're uh, like down the tube station midnight's a little wordy but it's very um it's amazing always amazed me how uh and you can get this on later uh um jam albums how many words he fits into a three-minute song it's yep. pretty amazing to me like the bitterest pill i ever had to swallow <laughs> yeah. There are points of that where the rhythm shouldn't make sense because it sounds like he's reading off like a menu. And it's, yeah. just, it's just, he got so many words in it, and, but it works. And I've always been amazed at Paul Weller's ability to fit these words into it and not have it just come out as, as garble or gobbledygook. That's what I'm saying, man. He's like, like, super high echelon songwriter and it's so funny because we're talking about someone that most americans would have no idea they would really maybe they've heard the jam i don't know but they would not know uh probably know enough about unless you you know you've listened to him a lot that what a talent the guy is and um yeah and still is and still it's still out there you know doing his thing so all right and it's uh he's just oh man and his solo albums, and that's another thing we can talk about later, but his, sol- his solo albums are really good. Uh, they are really good. Yeah. There are a couple of them that are amazing. But I tell you what, we're going to take a break first, and then when we come back, I'll do a read from DraftKings. Basketball teams are entering their final month of the regular season as they gear up for the playoffs. While some teams are, are – <clears throat> while some teams are – Locks, excuse me, that God, I can't read my own thing here. <laughs> to make the playoffs, others are still fighting for the opportunity to chase a trophy this summer. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top rated sportsbook app, is putting you at the center of the action with a chance to turn $1 into $100 in free bets. Turning $1 into $100 is simple. Pick any basketball team to win their next game. And if during that game, the team of your choosing hits a three, you bring home $100 in free bets. That's $100 to one odds on the team of your choosing to hit a three. They don't even have to win. This year's teams have been hitting threes at an unprecedented rate. So get in on all the action at DraftKings Sportsbook before this offer ends. Download the top rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free bets. If the basketball team of your choosing it's a three. That's code MHS to turn $1 into $100 in free bets. For limited time, only a DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. All right, John. We, we are now, like, really getting into the nitty-gritty of what, the, what I think is peak jam right now. And they follow up all mod cons, which is the, the album that sent them into the stratosphere in, in England. And they follow that up with my personal favorite album, their setting sons. Um, if only for the song girl on the phone, which is a song about a uh, reporter who kept, <laughs> kept basically phone stalking Paul Weller. Um, and uh, Little Boy Soldiers, Wasteland, Burning Sky. But my favorite song on the album is not a Paul Weller song. It is, uh, mm. it is Bruce Foxen's uh, Smithers Jones, which, ah, yeah. which 
has two different versions. The one on the album is got is it's got like a uh, like a quartet, a, a, a string, a quartet horn section, yeah, right. And uh, the the single version is very rocking, and I like and I and I, I this is gonna sound like a cop out, but I love both versions. <laughs> but that's one of the best jam songs as far as I'm concerned. It's a great, great lyric lyrical song. It's a, it's a great song about getting fired, right. Right. Not, not a life-affirming subject, obviously. Yeah, no, no. So that song, well, first, first that, this album, I just, when I was going through it, I was like, I, this is the only one I don't have for some reason. Now, mm-hmm. I know the songs, but I don't have it. I was like, what? And then I was like, oh, I better get it. And then it was like only the super deluxe versions for like $27. And I was like, ah, it's like, okay, I'm sure it's good. But I'm like, all right, maybe I'll have to just, you know. Um, uh I love um, Smithers Jones is great. And, and going back to the kinks thing, the very end of the song has that little wop, wop, right. wop, is a, is a kinks from like Victoria, I think. I it think is. it's Victoria. It is. And so a little kinks, little kinks nod there for some reason. I don't know why. I, think, I guess there's another song that kind of sounds like a kinks song that's similar it to it. But um, that's really cool. But I love um, Burning Sky and Burning Sky, Burning Skies. And I love Thickest Thieves and I know those really well because there was like the singles collection and I don't know if they're different versions because mm-hmm. it sounds like it's just Weller doing it. I don't think it's a band. I don't know if they're different versions on the singles uh, collection, but I love Thickest Thieves. That's one of my favorite songs of all time. It's so beautiful. It's just good. It's, it's also kind of depressing though, right? Mm-hmm. Cause it's kind of like lost friendship, you know, and we used to be, you know, we used to be kind of Thickest Thieves, but we're not anymore. And, um, but uh, yeah, I love that song. It's really good. Well, talking about talking about Thatcher era England, this is the Thatcher era England album, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it is very much a critique of it. I mean, going all the way to uh, the uh, going underground, which isn't on the quote album, but is uh, it is part of this one of those. Yeah, um, they they also have a cover of the I believe it's Martha and the Vandellas' uh, Heat Wave, or is that yeah? Uh, uh, yeah, was that? Um, which is a really rockin' version with a great Rickenbacker. Just, just, I usually don't like Motown covers, but here's something that they have in common with Van Halen. (laughs) Both did Motown covers, covers, and both did several covers of the Kinks. (laughs) True, yep. Very true. I never didn't think I would have a Van Halen... (laughs) <laughs> and uh, uh, jam uh, crossover, but there you go. But the song that everyone probably knows, and I'm saying I'm using that loosely, if this is an American audience, is the Eden sure. Rifles. Yeah, yeah. Um, great. The bass just like at the beginning of the song. Funny story. I used to do that song at karaoke. Oh, yeah. And uh, my friend Joe likes to um, uh, make fun of me for doing, uh, uh, I used to do several jam songs. I used to do that one, Going Underground, and uh, um, uh, oh, that R&B song from The Gift. Uh, did, town- did everyone's eyes just glaze over oh, and yeah, not know yeah. what you were doing? <laughs> I did a town, town Called Malice from The from Oh, the beautiful. And I, people just like did not get it. Yeah. <laughs> Like what is it? What is this guy singing? I'm, I'm, yeah. I don't I want to hear "Living on a Prayer" again or something, you know. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, yeah. So it, this is this is one of those things that's like as you go through the history of this band, and we don't have to cover every album, but 
as you go through the history of this band, it, it was interesting to see to me that this is basically All Mod Cons Part 2, but on a more cynical level. This is a definitely yeah. a more cynical album than All Mod Cons. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I, and I guess I, I always took, I don't know what his politics is. Weller. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, ass, I'm assuming from his songs, I, I can kind of guess he's, he's pretty anti-authority, anti-war right. um, type of guy. I don't know that for sure. I'm just inferring from what he's, what he's, you know, sung about. Um, but yeah, it definitely, uh, there was always that kind of to it. You know, there's always a little bit of a little bit of an edge um, to some of his songs, but I think he's definitely getting into it. He's probably in the throes of being super famous at this point. Right. And probably also sick of that. And it's probably that's wearing on him too. So, you know, it's interesting just to, just to kind of know it's like the Rolling Stones, you know, when um, they're in tax trouble, what album they made when they're in tax trouble, it's like uh, exile on main street. Right. Exile on main street, and, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, it, it's kind of like, what are these guys going through and what, are, what are their changing beliefs or, or their solidifying beliefs as they make these albums? And I always find that I always really like the history behind it too. And kind of what they were going for. Cause then you can glean a little more from the songs when you, right. when you listen to them, you know? Right. You know, a no, no, no culture uh, gets sick of fame quicker than the English culture because, oh, yeah. because it's this, this, this uh, reserve embarrassment they have with showing off. And <laughs> sure. uh, the, the Rick Wakeman had a great quote about this. He said when he was playing in some of his bands in the late sixties, before he got the yes, um, he would, you know, you would be expected uh, when they're touring little clubs in England to put your head down, do your part properly and not be excited about it. You know, don't, don't show any emotion. And then he said, when they got to America, they would go nuts because all of them loved the showing off. You, we love the, like, just do what you do and do it really well. Yeah. And uh, it's just, it like affects them in their psyches. And I think you, you don't, the jam never had to go through that with particularly with America because they never really they never broke through, <clears throat> kind of like the Smiths. But they uh, were able to they got insanely popular in the UK, and you can see sometimes in a lot of art uh, in a lot of these in, in English artists like Ed Blur had the same problem. Uh, uh, Oasis never had that problem. They 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 yeah. they embraced fame quicker than any more easily than any band I, I've ever seen out there in England. Um, Absolutely. But, but, but as far as the jam goes, this is right at the peak. They're, they're starting, they're not the peak of their powers, but their fame is still rising. And you can yeah. just, and, and you make an astute point, you can just tell. You can just tell that it's just getting to Paul Weller. Oh, yeah. And like I said, like Girl on the Phone is, is such a song like, get away from me, I don't want to talk to you kind of song. So. <laughs> Well, and you know, just thinking about like um, the, there's a the Black Sabbath. Um, is it the writ? It's on. It's on. Um, uh, it's on. Not something in the universe. I'll think of it. I'm drawing a blank. Um, it's called the writ, and it's and it's it's uh, Ozzy it's just singing a um, sabotage. Sab- Sorry, sabotage. Jesus. Yeah, that was Jesus. <laughs> Brain fart here. Um, I should know that. I should I have? I'm all sitting up here on the wall. Um, <laughs> the uh it's it's all about like the just the 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 press and the people and it is just like 
he's just crying for help. And I don't know if he wrote it or maybe Bill Ward wrote it or whoever wrote it, but it's just like, I am sick of this shit. You know what I mean? And right. it's like very, very, very obvious from listening to it that they're just done. And I think they, they stumbled on for another album or two together like that. But yeah. So, you know, that at this point in the jams tenure, you know, they were, they were really, they were really famous in England and Europe, probably in general, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think he was, I think he was over it at that point. And, and he still, still cranked out a few more good ones though. Oh, he did. Well, and, and another story about being sick of fa- no one, no band dealt with, with uh, sudden and immediate and amazing fame worse than Pink Floyd. Mm, yeah. After, after Dark Side of the Moon, they were like, I mean, Dave Gilmore has gone on record as saying, what's the point? Like, why, why, are, why are we still doing this? We've, we've, achieved, <laughs> we've achieved the zenith. Why are we still doing this? Which is really kind of a, like an interesting way to look at that. Like, he's like a little too cynical for me. Um, but it is some, like the band that just went increasingly more cynical as they got into you know the 80s and you can see that to make a correlation here you kind of see that with setting suns it's a very cynical album and it's very uh about what was going on in thatcher era england with a lot of uh, austerity uh there was economic hardships there was like a vast gap between the haves and have-nots it mirrored reagan era sure of the united states and you can just see that seep into the, the writing of Paul Weller. And that's one of the reasons I think he's so brilliant is that you just, you could tell he was affected by the events of the day and along with his own personal experience and bringing that into, like I said, it's my favorite jam album and it's, and it's not the one that's easiest to listen to. Sure. That's usually the case with a lot of those, right? They're, right. Maybe the most difficult one is, is their best. So, right. Uh, sound effects comes next and that's actually, uh, that's got, uh, that's got maybe the song that they're most known for in the United States. That's entertainment. That's entertainment, baby. And it is, I, of all the, and, and start, which is a ripoff of tax man by the Beatles. But, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but it is, um, what is your thought? What is your feel on, on, on sound effects specifically, uh, that the, the the, the the kind of like this is not, at least in my view a less cynical album than uh, setting sense it's got really good songs on it you know looking at the tracks um you know but i'm different now is fantastic um mm-hmm. you know like i said starts a really good song and i and i think i, I had never heard ta- i heard that way before i heard tax man oh, you did. and uh, i heard tax man <laughs> later and was like oh wait a minute you know you kind of go oh i think i see i think i see what they were they were kind of uh making a nod to right. um it's a good album. There's some really good stuff on there. Like Boy About Town's really good. Right. Um, it's of all of them. It's probably not track for track their best. Right. Um, you know the other ones. I think are all. Everyone's got a really good. Uh, the whole track list is really good. Um, but that's entertainment is such a beautiful song. Right. And um, you know also I don't know if I would call it cynical. Um, it's just a, it's kind of like a, you know, the mundane almost like, you know, him, him talking about the mundane, but um, what a beautiful song. And if you, you know, if you haven't heard it, you just get, go find, you know, his version of it. We were talking earlier about Billy Bragg. I didn't even know he did a version of it. And I mm-hmm. came up on my iPod and I was like, Oh, wow. That's really good. And, you know, obviously somebody like Billy Bragg was probably very influenced by, by them. Um, no but um 
yeah, that that really is probably right. That's probably their most popular song, like probably their most recognizable, I would say. I would say, at least in the United States, uh, by yeah. far. Um, it's the one that made Rolling Stone's top 500 songs. Uh, it's, I, I would have put others, but I think... I think it's the one that is easily, most easily relatable, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of one of the reasons why it is so, uh, because it's everyday life. It's it's a very everyday life song. And I think everyone can uh, understand it. And he's pretty understandable himself. And this is something I haven't really delved delved into too much on this, but um, one of the barriers with the jam has always been the almost incomprehensible way he sings sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I think that was, that is a difficult thing. And we're, by the way, anyone who's from England and I know you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> this is just from our perspective. It's be, you know, look, I mean, I'm sure you, you guys would feel the same if anyone from like Cajun country was started talking and you probably have no idea. Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait a minute. I've got, I've got English people going to be critiquing this, Jeff. I didn't know that. I would have, I would have taken a totally different tact. I, now I'm going to feel like a fool. No, you're not. You should have uh, let me know. No, no, no. I have people all over the world who listen to this thing, but it's, it's not a big deal because they, I, here's the thing. I, I think everyone understands the barrier between the, 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 the British, the very sure. British, the very British. It's kind of like, what probably the reason Blur, why Blur never really broke through in the United States. It's that the Damon Albarn going for the exaggerated Cockney thing. And I yeah, think, he didn't do that all the time. He, he just didn't. did it for a little bit, but yeah. He didn't. Well, yeah. no, how about, how about this? It's more like um, when American hip hop kind of, you know, came on the scene in the, you know, in the eighties, right. um, it would be British people, uh, listening to that and going, well, I don't exactly get what he's saying, but it doesn't matter because you, you just are, you're into it. You know, you like what you hear. So you may not be able to pick up everything, but it doesn't matter because you enjoy it so much. You know what I mean? Well, it certainly affected Mick Jones because he ends up going doing a big audio dynamite, which, which is like his attempt at doing hip hop basically <laughs> in the eighties. And so, yeah, go ahead. Saw I saw them at uh, at oh, what is now the, the oh yeah saw them at the um what is now the uh, the Fillmore in Denver it was the Mammoth Gardens Mammoth yeah and, and saw them play a show it was great so again that's the closest I ever got to the Clash was seeing uh, was seeing Big Audio Dynamite in the you know in the like uh, mid to late eighties whenever it was so um, wow. great show but you know but but absolutely and this is my whole thing about music and I you know I talk I try to try to bring this up all the time it was like music is such an evolutionary thing. You know, somebody can go, well, you know, Led Zeppelin, you know, ripped off, you know, the uh, American blues. And I'm like, yes, absolutely. They did. Mm -hmm. But the American blues was influenced by something and that was influenced by something. And then somebody listening to Led Zeppelin was influenced by that. And they made something new. It's always growing. It's always changing. And it's always like, um, you know, somebody hears something they put their spin on it, you know? So you bring up big audio dynamite. He's like doing this kind of weird sampling kind of almost, I wouldn't call it hip hop at that point, but you know, it was a totally different thing um, because of all the stuff he had listened to probably in his travels, you know, probably going to America and hearing, hearing like, you know, hip hop and, and, and black music. Right. Um, so, so 
big audio dynamite probably influenced somebody after that. So it's always a, just a, it's just a constant, like growing organism music. Right. And I, and that's why I love it because it's always something, something else is going to come out of it. Well, yeah. And, and speaking of influences and uh, it, uh, Paul Weller is starting to deviate from the standard jam formula Mm-hmm. By the time you get two sound effects, but it really comes into fruition with their next album, The Gift. But on sound effects, you could tell he's breaking away from the, the what they were doing. Yeah. Um, and he has said that he um, wanted to kind of, he, he's a, an opinionated fellow. He's a guy who is used to getting his way. And uh, his dad was managing the band. So obviously this, that probably helped things. But there is a, a, I'm going to do this and this is the direction we're going. And um, maybe that's why sound effects for me is not as good as the previous two, but it's still great. Um, but it's kind of muddled to me towards the, the back half of the album, but that's the case with many albums. The back half of the album is where we throw, you know, the stuff that we don't necessarily think will stand out. But they like, you know, uh, like the band, the, the jam would always bring it back with an epic at the end, kind of like at, yeah, uh, yeah. All, with uh, Down the Tube Station at Midnight at the end. Yeah. Um, so sound effects to me is not the peak. Uh, I, I very much think it's setting signs in all mod cons, but it's still a very damn, damn good album and with, filled with great songwriting. And um, if you can only take away that's entertainment, from your song catalog to hold out through time. I think Paul Weller probably would be happy with that. <laughs> it's not, it's not bad, right? Yeah. It's, right. it's okay. It's like, it's like winning one Super Bowl instead of two, you know, it's, it's, right. it, it'll work, you know, it'll work. <laughs> of course. And then they get to uh, the gift, <clears throat> which is their commercial peak in the UK and my least favorite jam album. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> I just some of the some of the R and B stuff didn't connect with me. A lot of backing vocals. A lot of um, the bitterest pill I ever had to swallow is is one of my favorite jam songs. Uh, I can see how that wouldn't work. I mean, that's the kind of the, I'm of two minds on it. I really love that song, but I could see how it wouldn't necessarily be a song that would always work. Like I said before, he crams a lot of words in that song, but it's still very good. But it's also a song that has Beat Surrender on it, which is my least favorite jam song. Really? Wow. (laughs) Never liked that song. So I love Beat Surrender and I, and I love this, I love this album because it's like, um, I don't want to say it's funk, but it's like, it's a hard, like R and B, like it's very like, you know, um, like he's got a he's got a kind of waka 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 guitar going on a lot and um i love a lot of those songs i think precious is the one that's real that's That's one really like yeah Yeah. and is it's just a great jam and um yeah yeah, i like a lot of those songs and um yeah beat surrender like i remember like just we used to play that all the time i don't know why that's a very like you know very fast r&b kind of peppy song um I think uh, I want to say, oh, geez, I can't think if it's on there or not, but um, you know, it's very almost like he was listening to a lot of like Curtis Mayfield or something right. like that, you know, right. and uh, just kind of getting into that, 
which I'm sure was probably, you know, probably stuff he had. But again, we talk about like what's what somebody's going through, what they're experiencing. You know, you could get, you know, you could start listening to um, you could start listening to Slayer if you right now, Jeff. And like you could be like music that you make would subtly be influenced by Slayer, you know, in some way, you know. But um, so, you know, it'd be curious to to maybe read what he has to say about it to you know, to kind of go, you know, were you listening to Curtis Mayfield or, yeah, I'm trying to think of the song. There's a song. It might even be, I don't even, it might be a Curtis Mayfield song. I, I can't remember. Yeah. I, I should be I'm more trying. prepared for this. I'm sorry. No, you're um, uh, I'm trying, I'm looking up the track listing right now. Um, well, uh, town called Malice is definitely influenced by uh, Motown. That is, yeah, a, that's a, that is a Motown song if I ever heard one. And it's also right up there with like two of my favorite jam songs of all time are on this album, uh, town called malice and, uh, uh, bitterest pill. There you go. Right. See, but bitterest pill actually isn't on the album, but it's one of the singles. Uh, yeah. I was, con- I always lump the singles in with, <laughs> with these sure. albums. I shouldn't do that, but, it, um, and, uh, trans express. Was that the one you're thinking of now? God, I can't think of it. Um, it might come to me. It's no, you know what? It's probably not because I look through them just to see who, which were covers and weren't, and there weren't a lot of covers. Um, no. Um, but you know, you're talking about the singles and I think going back to what you start, the kind of the first experience with it, I think compact snap that compilation. It was like a mm-hmm. double album. That was my first, I think we got that first me and my brother and we, we had that and that's got everything on it. Right. And then I think we, then I went back later and started listening to the proper albums, but that, that record, um, that double album had like everything. It was so good. So that had kind of a career spanning thing too. Right. So it starts off within the city and then um, I think it ends with beat surrender, your favorite song. Um, But um, Come yeah, on, I gotta, boy. I gotta, I have a, I should have, gra- I should have grabbed it. I have, um, I have all my records in in the garage, and um, I've got a Beat Surrender single. Oh yeah, uh, twelve, twelve inch. Yeah, I mean it's 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 old. I mean I don't know where I found it. I got it probably when I was in high school, and um, it's really cool. It's got a girl with a flag on the cover, I think. So um, wow. yeah, I've got that somewhere, unless someone stole it from me. But um, yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a that's a good song. I really like that one. But there was a uh, record shop in Arvada called Black and Red that I used mm-hmm. to get yep. all my albums at, all my all my vinyl, and I found a Led Zeppelin bootleg there. Oh yeah, vinyl bootleg of uh like a concert they did in 77 i think it was it wasn't destroyer it was uh listen to this eddie on vinyl and um you have to know your lights up and bootlegs that was uh <laughs> that was uh the forum may 27th 1977 i think um anyway they they did was in this like box set thing and it was beat up the the, the top of it was had a yeah, the hole punched in it, and the guy was like just trying to get rid of it. So he gave it to me for like five bucks, right? It's like I'll, I'll give this to you, and it's like I listened to the shit out of that thing because it sounded great. But I, that's my thing with vinyl, and and I think a lot of times people miss this, and I have an affinity for vinyl because I like the experience of holding it in my hands and seeing the album artwork and all that. It's just there's just sure. me, something different about it. And I'm not speaking as like, this is an old man talk. This is just like, just the preference of holding the album artwork. And I, one of my regrets is I don't have a single 
uh, album, like a vinyl of the jam. I have a, all their CDs, but I don't have I don't have the vinyl. I, I think I've got Compact Snap still. Um, I have that Beat Surrender. Um, I'd have to go look. I should I should have looked before I could have. I have my Black Sabbath just sitting up on the shelf. Um, but what's funny is is I have these Black Sabbath albums, and one of my kids is you know he's, he kind of thinks it's cool. He, he likes it a little, little bit. He's not really into it. But seeing them look at the records is really interesting because they've grown up in a house where when they were little, I had tons of CDs, right? Because they would right. knock them off the shelf. Right. And then I digitized it all and got rid of them. So they've lived, in, they've lived in a home for probably the last 10 years where there's been no, there's been no physical media, right? Yeah. It's yeah. all been like on a computer and on an iPod. So when I brought these albums out, you can kind of see like, oh, look at, I can actually hold this in my hand. I can right. look at it. I can, I can read it. You know, the sold our souls for rock and roll black Sabbath. It's got mm-hmm. that fold out with the, there's like mm-hmm. a girl in like a silver coffin or something right. ridiculous <laughs> shit on there. And uh, you know, it's like, and he's, they're looking at it like going, oh, that's cheesy as hell, but I like it. You know, they can kind of respect it. So I, I, you know, having not any physical albums in my possession, it's really nice to, to get a record out and take a look at it. See, you, 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 this is the difference, I guess, is you and I grew up with albums. My, my parents had reams of albums. It's just Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band uh, album. And they had a, they used to, they, when they first issued them, they gave you cutouts like a Sergeant mm-hmm. Pepper glasses and mustache and all this stuff. <laughs> yeah. My mom had all of that. And I was like, this is amazing. So it got me to buy all these albums. I, I was just looking through them downstairs uh, before this podcast started. I'm like, oh, I miss getting these. Vinyl has actually kind of made a comeback a bit because sure. pe- people are like, they like the, the, the colored vinyl. They like the, the collector's aspect of it. And I think, I think, not to get too fine a point on it, but if there was a like a colored vinyl or a good vinyl pressing of a jam album, I would totally buy it right now. Sure. And, uh, I would have to seek it out, but that shit's expensive. Yes. A, a buddy of mine is, um, has been vinyl only forever and he's got a massive collection and he, he does that. I'll get the, you know, the, the white vinyl of some release of, you know, a high on fire or whatever metal ba- metal album. And, right. um, He's all into it, and um, I know he's probably got some of those jam records, uh, but I don't think they've re-released those because no. you'd think they would. I mean, come on, you do that, and like I said, you'd, you'd buy it. I might just buy it just to, you know, just to have it to, to put on the wall. You know, it's really cool looking. So, Well, do you have, like, and we can kind of wrap up with a couple questions here. Do you have any thoughts on Style Council? <laughs> I do. Um, Style Council was kind of around so they were that that's more of a contemporary for me right they were actually producing music when i was uh actually buying it you know i was actually listening to it when it was released Mm -hmm. um maybe a little bit after the fact but um uh i i like the style council i think it's blue cafe is the first album and it's got like um it's got some good stuff on it. Um, you're the you're the you're the best thing that's ever happened to me. I think mm-hmm. the name of that song. It's a mm-hmm. beautiful song. Um, very different than the jam. Obviously, you wanted to do something different. Um, there's like a there's a song. I think it's called the the Paris Match on there. I haven't listened to that in years. I should listen to it. Um, where um, 
he either sings it or a woman sings it. it's not there's yeah. somebody else sings this song on there um but it's it's really good make a long story short it's it's not the jam it never it never really was it never quite uh, it never quite uh did did for me what the jam did you know and right. um I, I think that was his you know kind of like i think a lot of these guys are are very talented and they're very smart and i think that they they then get in their phase of like, I'm very talented and I'm very smart and I need to, I'm going to do this. You know, I'm just, we've, we've seen it like Kanye West, you know, right, same thing. Right. I'm, I'm really smart. I'm really talented. I'm the best. And then they just do something. You're like, eh, yeah, it's eh, okay. I get it. You know, yeah, um, yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't think it ever really fully worked, you know, but I, I think there's some good stuff. I, I don't, I don't mind it. I, I would, I would give it a spin, you know, just to kind of familiarize myself with it. It was too slick for me. I just, I, 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 you and I conversed via message on this. I, I, it's too, his voice isn't made for that music. And I think, I think that. Like he, kind of slow soul music, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 His voice is not made for that. And that's what was like buggy. It's, it's incongruous to what his approach is. Sure. But I appreciate the attempt and, and, and I appreciate bravery. I, I appreciate all that stuff. It, it didn't connect for me, but I appreciate the fact that he went there because really, honestly, his solo work since is, is, is exemplary is absolutely. I mean, not all of them are tremendous, but I mean, he has got some real killer solo, solo albums that people really need to check out because he's just uh, the, the guy's a, a tremendous songwriter. Tremendous. The, first, the first solo albums called Paul Weller. Mm-hmm. And it was like, um, it used, it was very, um, I don't even want to say it was hip hop, but it was very like um, uh, beat oriented. Like there was a lot of like yep. kind of really good drum tracks and he used like, and he, had, and he did like remixes a lot of it. You could get remixes off these songs. And um, uh, the, the main song was Uh-huh, Oh, oh Yeah, which, you know, <laughs> sounds like a very simple title. But what a great song. Like that, great song. that right there, that first album, better than any of the Style Council stuff. And um, he was using that like weird effect with that sounds like a boo. Oh, yeah. Like yeah, that. Yeah. He was using that in there a lot. And uh, that became really kind of popular. Um, that's a great album. And then he then he went on to do Wildwood, which I think it was his second solo album. Oh, Wildwood! And that is, is really a good. that is just a like a I don't want to say it's acoustic, but it's certainly a more. There's not many electronic elements in it like the first one was, and it is um it's just a masterpiece. It's really yeah. beautiful. It's like very really good songs and like more um you know it would be more James Taylor ish than anything else I would guess. I think that's maybe uh. Somewhat, you know, like a hip James Taylor, maybe we could call him at that point. Well, it's not quite his version of uh, Springsteen's Nebraska, but I think it was kind of his return to uh, a different kind of, I mean, a, a, an, an organic songwriting, I guess is the best way to put it. And, yeah. Um, I think that that is the best way to, that, that, that Wildwood is, to me, is the best solo album, but that's not limited to that. He's released a lot of music post jam. Yeah. I mean, the guy's prolific and uh, obviously depends on whether you like, you know, uh, believe what he's selling, but to be honest with you, I think it doesn't matter. He's the guy is a God in England and still is to this day. And I kind of wish, and in looking back on it, John, I kind of wish that he got more appreciation out here. But I think in the legacy aspect of it, 
um, American audiences retroactively have appreciated him far more than they did in his content when he was contemporary at his peak. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and I think, you know, he's obviously appreciated here and we, we love him. He is a God. I think, I think everyone appreciates him except for that guy that held up the poster of Jeanette Napolitano. (laughs) I think everyone other than him appreciates him very, you know, very much so. (laughs) Why would I just, that's so weird. I I was actually thinking about that after the story. It's like, why would you do that? What? Just you're just provoking the guy. That's all you're doing. <laughs> yeah, provoking like kind of a, a kind of a smart ass, you know, kind of tough guy. Um, yeah, real weird, um, you know. But uh, hey, you know the the old saying like this is the hill you're gonna die on, huh? Right. And uh, you know it's kind of like you know if if that existed, then I would look at him and went, this is the hill you're gonna die on, huh? This this. You know. So he, he he definitely that's where he that's where he died. And, Paul, Paul sent him to an early grave. Right. Uh, and before we, before we end this, uh, are you looking forward? I mean, we're both not exactly in the active concert going age, but are you looking forward to that when it's uh, safe to do so again? Is that, I, was, I had Steve Gorman on here uh, a couple times and he was telling me how much he missed. He didn't realize how much he would miss drumming and performing until it was taken away from him and now the overwhelming urge for him to go perform again is just just tremendous and he's wondering and he was wondering himself if people were were feeling the same and i think people are it's just i don't know if people feel like safe to do it right now <laughs> I mean, that's really that's the point unless they're going to do vaccine passports which is another subject altogether i don't know what I don't know what to do, but it, just removing all that. Are you looking forward to this, the concept of live music again? So here's the thing about me, Jeff. I love music. You know this. Right. And um, I've seen thousands of concerts. Um, before this all went down, I was like, I could probably go without ever going to see a live show ever again. I hate packing in with the people. I hate standing there. My back starts to hurt. And this is not an old man thing. This has been always me. I've always, I've always had this back thing where I stand there too long. I'm like, Mm -hmm. and um, so I was kind of like, you know what? I I, I could just, I could do without it. You know, it's just a pain in the ass to get in and out of there. Um, I think the last show I saw is I saw Wilco at the, um, the new place that's down on Brighton. Um, oh yeah. Um, uh, geez, I should know the uh, name the, of it. The Mission um, Ballroom. Mission Ballroom. Beautiful, beautiful place. A mm-hmm. really good place to do a show. But I was just like, ugh, ugh. Now, every time I hear a band comes up, I'm like, oh my God, I could have went and saw them at the Lions Lair or, you know, the Larimer Lounge. And I'm like, just like in the last, like, you know, two years. And I'm like, why didn't I go see him? And, I, and I'm like, I'm, and I'm like, I'm going to go see, I'm going to go see all these bands. And then of course I'm, I'm saying this to myself and I'm like, you know, when seven o'clock, eight o'clock rolls around and I'm supposed to go down there. I'm like, is that, so I'm a little on the fence. Um, uh-huh. I definitely, I think if there's a band that I think I've been trying to see and I, and I really like, um, I will go do it. Um, I, I don't think I'm going to, I don't think I'm going to go crazy. I know there's a lot of people who live for live music and that's all they do. Um, our, our friend, our, our friend, Scott Stafford, he loves seeing live bands. He oh, goes yeah. all the time when, when you could, um, I know he'll be out there as far as I, I'm how I'm going to do it. I I'm going to see it. It's, they're going to have to be something pretty special for me to get off my couch 
but um, I, I will certainly appreciate it more when I'm there. I'm going to be really like excited to, you know, to actually have the, the, the opportunity to go back and do it. You know, I, uh, I had an opportunity and this is right before um, things shut down. An opportunity to go see Chris and Rich Robinson at Ophelia's Electric Soapbox. Yeah, okay. So talk about intimate. I'll be for people who yeah. are not Denver residents, Ophelia's is basically a restaurant, but it's got um a lower level, which is I don't know, could probably seat about a hundred, maybe, maybe. And it is like I had an opportunity, someone was like, I got got you, I got you a ticket. And I didn't do it. Oh. And I'm like, you know what? You're a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> You're a fucking idiot, Jeff. And I'm like, I didn't, if this, the pandemic hadn't happened, I wouldn't have had a you're an idiot thought at all. You would have been like, yeah, I'll catch it whenever, I'll catch it some other time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they're going to be at Red Rocks. Mm-hmm. I, I, can, I can just see them at Red Rocks. I, I, I think that's, I that's the thing is that, you know, I think that's what it's taught us is, you know, Hey, don't take it for granted, you know, because there might be a time you can't go, even if there's no pandemic, maybe, you know, you can't, you can't physically get there or, or something. Um, so I think don't take it for granted. And if you really do like something, um, I don't know, maybe that night you retired, you're like, ah, I just didn't blah, blah, blah. Now I bet you, you know, you'd race down there right now if you could go. Right. You know, so it's like, yes. it's one of those things. So I will tell you a similar story. I don't want to, I don't want to try to one up your story. No, go ahead. I use this as an example to one of my kids. I said, look, take opportunities. If opportunities are presented to you, take them. Don't, don't just be like, eh. and then he's like, well, you know, what do you mean? And I said, well, let me give you an example. So when I was like, I want to say I was 17 and I worked in a skateboard shop, um, mm-hmm. session skateboard, snowboard shop. It's right on like, um, Parker and uh, um, Dartmouth, which is mm. where the Fuddruckers used to be. Do you remember right. where the Fuddruckers was right there? Mm-hmm. So the skateboard shop, Norman's, if you're old as I am, you go to Norman's, which is right down, right down there too. But the skateboard shop is across the street. So Norman's was there. And one day I'm in there and I'm 17. I'm, I'm punk rock, right? Mm-hmm. And um, Scott Ian from, uh, maybe I've told you this story, Anthrax. but I'll tell you anyway. It's Scott Ian from Anthrax. <laughs> walks in the skateboard shop because anthrax is playing across the street at norman's which was this upper level eh, it wasn't that big it was probably about the size of mercury cafe mm-hmm. anthrax is playing there that night so scott ian comes in and he's like looking around and checking stuff out and he's like cool it's a good store and everything and uh starts talking to me and i recognize him i know who he is but mm-hmm. i'm like fuck anthrax <laughs> fucking metal bullshit right you know at the time and um uh, I'm polite to him, but I'm just kind of like, yeah, whatever. And he's like, I don't know, he bought like some stickers or something, right? And um, and he goes, hey, man, um, if you want to come see the show, just, you know, let me know. I'll come on over. You can come see the show. And I was like, yeah, okay, man, cool. And I just kind of left it. And I just like, I'm not going to that. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, I could have saw freaking Anthrax on the uh, from Scott Ian was inviting me to come see Anthrax play over at this thing and i turned it and i turned it down and and like maybe like a year later i started i was like yeah anthrax is pretty good and i'm like kind of got into them you know and um at the time i was like no nah, i'm not gonna and uh what what a you know and so i use i use that as an example i said don't pass up an opportunity you know um i i could have went and saw the grateful dead at red rocks because the guy who owned the shop was was a big deadhead and he was like 
uh, yeah, come on, man. I'll take you up to the, the dead. And I was like, the dead? What are you talking about? I'm like, I'm not going to see that shit. And I'm like, oh my God, I could have saw the Grateful Dead at Red Rocks. And I'm like, oh, that would have just been incredible. So, you know, for my kids, for anyone out there, don't pass up an opportunity like that. Don't be, don't be a lame ass like me and pass up these opportunities. So that's, those are, yeah. those are my stories. And, I, and I'm ashamed of them, but I had, I, had to, I had to get it out there. No, no, it's fine. You know, and uh, I, I had, the, I, I don't have a, a that's, that's amazing, Scotty Yen. It's <laughs> like, um, uh, I had a, a moment when I, I didn't go see the show, but um, 1991, I think, um, I, my dad lived in Inglewood right off of Santa Fe and Dartmouth, basically. And uh, basically, I grew up there. So it's not far from Sportique, you know, it's just like, that was yeah, my yeah. neighbor. That was my neighborhood. And I'll never forget it. He and I, my, he and my brothers are driving by the Gothic theater and the whole, and this is by the way, Gothic theater, this is run down CD. Yeah. Uh, we can't believe people are even uh, doing anything there other than drugs is Gothic theater in 1991. This pre-remodel. is pre-remodel. Pre-remodel Gothic theater. We look up at the marquee and there's fucking Joe Walsh playing there that night. Wow. <laughs> Joe Walsh. And my dad looks at me and he says, either he's fallen dramatically or the Gothic just got a lot better. <laughs> I don't know what this means. And I, we, were getting, I don't know, we were getting fitted for tuxedos because we were going to my... Uh, my cousin's wedding and she wanted us or not suits suits um and she wanted, wanted us to be in the weddings and there, there was this uh, formal wear place that was like a block away and we kept thinking like oh man J- joe walsh what's he doing there and it bugged us and i didn't tell my my brothers this i there's these stream of limos that go by while we're getting fitted and i look in 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 and like sure as hell joe walsh gets out of this limo it goes into the gothic theater and i'm like son of a bitch <laughs> it is joe walsh like blocks away from where i live joe yeah. walsh is like it's like going in there it was a, it was the most amazing thing but that wasn't a regret that was just like a like a like oh my god i can't believe this is yep. at the at this trashiest theater in in the metro metro denver at the time it's not like that now folks but it was no like no that. definitely not uh so <laughs> All right. Well, uh, man, you know, you and I could trade stories like this probably for the the next four hours, but, um, absolutely. Uh, but we will save that for another time. I will definitely be having John on again, because uh, once again, I, uh, I should have done this long before now because it's John is very great at talking about these things. Great talking about music. Uh, if you want to, uh, what's your, what's your Twitter handle for them to, uh, I think it's, John Reedy 303. Is it? Is it? <laughs> I think so. it is. I think it is. No, I, I am, I am totally honored to, to be on here and I'm not bullshitting. I am. Um, I was, you know, really, really excited that we finally got it done. I was, I was like, I, I like, I, I love talking music. Usually I have to talk sports and fuck that sports, you know? Mm-hmm. Ugh. So mm-hmm. I love talking music. If you ever want to do a joy division, new order one, I am oh. well, I am very well versed in both those bands. So, oh, um, you know, I have thoughts. 
I have thoughts yeah. on, on, okay. on, on specifically, yeah, current New Order, too. Which well, are... <laughs> well ske- hey, schedule it, buddy, because I'm ready to go because I've, uh, I've read books. I've, you know, listened to them. I'm, I've watched documentaries. I'm, I'm ready to go. So right. uh, any, anytime you want to do that one, then I'm ready. <laughs> All right. We'll, we'll, we'll do it. And uh, Scott, I know Scott Stafford's listening to this. Uh, Scott, anytime you want to come on and talk about music, um, you are more than welcome to. We'll talk oh, about- you'll never get rid of him. You'll yeah, never get rid of him. We'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk about yes <laughs> or something like that. Uh, so, <laughs> all right. Well, John, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, this has been an absolute pleasure. And uh, uh, folks, John will be on again. We'll be talking about that. And uh, uh, just, John, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you, buddy. I had a great time. Thanks for having me.